Good morning, Sanctuary. It's an honor and a privilege to have this time to stand before you today. Uh, my name is Edrin, lead pastor here at the Sanctuary. And if I have not had the chance yet to shake your hand, uh, give you a big hug, I, I look forward to having that opportunity really soon. It is a privilege to be here. And, and we're, we're super grateful because the sun is shining and uh, there's a little football game going on later today. And so you had plenty of reasons to stay at home or to not join us online, but I'm grateful that all of you are here with us today as we get to sit together under God's word. We are in week two of a series that we are calling People of the Book. People of the Book. In fact, it is our theme series for the year. And throughout this series, we want to lay out a foundation that we'll come back to throughout the rest of the year of our life together as the people of God, being guided, being encouraged, being corrected, being taught by God's word. When we say we are people of the book, we say that we take God's word seriously, that we believe God meets us in his word. And so we kicked off this series last week, laying a foundation for what we mean when we say we are people of the book. And I'm excited to jump in today and continue in this series. Today's title is called God's Big Story. God's Big Story. And I invite your prayers as we engage in God's word together. There's a story in East Indian culture of six men who were all born blind living together in a village. And the villagers there in that same small village loved these old men, and they kept them away from danger, and they took care of them, and they helped them to survive. Because these men had lost their ability to see, they used their other senses and their imagination to learn as much as they could about the world around them. Because of stories that they had heard there in that village, they, they had developed over time an incredible curiosity about, of all things, elephants. If you know anything about East Indian culture, you know that in that culture, elephants are sacred animals. They are a cultural symbol. And these six blind men had to hear over and over stories of how elephants could trample forests, how they could carry huge burdens, how elephants could frighten young and old with just a, a trumpet call, how they could also be gentle when they need to. And these six men, as they heard story after story of elephants, they developed a love, and they would spend their days and their nights arguing about elephants. The first blind man would often be heard saying that an elephant must be a powerful giant. He'd heard stories, after all, about how they could clear an entire forest or build roads. And the second blind man could often be heard saying, nope, you're wrong. An elephant has to be graceful and gentle because I heard that the princess, the, the king's daughter, often rides its back around the kingdom. And the third blind man would often argue, you're, you're, all, you're both wrong because I heard that an elephant could pierce a man's heart with its terrible tusk. And the fourth blind man would often say, you're mistaken because... An elephant is nothing more than a fancy kind of cow. You know how people exaggerate, he would say. The fifth blind man said an elephant is actually something more magical altogether. 
It's something like a magic carpet. And the sixth man, the blind man, would say that you are all crazy. I don't believe elephants exist at all. Finally, one day, after years of hearing these men argue about elephants, even though they had never seen an elephant, the villagers grew tired of these arguments, and they arranged for these men to travel from their small village to the palace to have their own encounter with an elephant. And so they were led from that village to the palace, led to the courtyard, and there they encountered an elephant. And these six blind men had had the opportunity to step up and place their hand on the elephant. The first blind man touched the side of this huge animal, and he declared, I was right all along. This elephant is smooth and solid like a wall. It must be powerful. The second blind man put his hand on the elephant's trunk and said, an elephant feels actually it's something like a giant snake. The third blind man felt the elephant's tusk and said, ha, I was right, it's sharp and deadly like a spear. The fourth blind man touched, reached out and touched one of the elephant's legs and he said, an elephant, like I said, is nothing more than an extremely large cow. The fifth man felt the elephant's ear and he said it felt like a magic carpet that could help people fly over mountains or treetops. And the sixth blind man, already skeptical of the entire ordeal, reached out and tugged on the elephant's coarse tail. And he said, with all the sarcasm that he could muster, this is nothing more than an old rope. So dangerous. These men had never seen an elephant. They had never encountered one until this day. And even after they encountered one that day, each of them became even more certain that only they could tell what an elephant really was. A wall, a snake, a spear, a cow, a carpet, or a rope. Each of these men had some knowledge, but none of them had understanding. This story is a special one that we often hear in training and development spaces. And the title of this training, at least one title of this story is, What is an Elephant? It speaks to the challenge of a single perspective. It reminds us that we can have some understanding, but not the whole picture. And it says to us that if we are to truly understand something, we must find some way to see the sum of it, the totality of it rather than ever fixating on just one part of it. I didn't bring you all to church today to talk about elephants. But this question that we ask, what is an elephant, could easily be transferred to the Bible. What is the Bible? Is it a rule book? is Is it a reference book that helps you to live your best life now? Is it a history book? Is it a a poetry book? It is a love letter. In his book by the title, What is the Bible? Our former senior pastor, Reverend Dr. Dennis Edwards, writes this. If one focuses only on the rules in the Bible, the Bible will become a rule book. If one focuses exclusively on verses about happiness and joy, the Bible will become a book of your personal, a manual for your personal fulfillment on earth. If one only reads the verses about sin and judgment, the Bible will become a source of condemnation of others 
and eventually of you yourself. But the Bible is more than any of those parts, and even more than the sum of those parts. As we wrestle with this identity we have as people of the book sanctuary, I want to encourage us today and remind us that the Bible is not just a rule book. The Bible is not just a reference book. The Bible is not a history book. The Bible is not a poetry book. The Bible is not a love letter. While there may be parts of all those things in the Bible, none of those things explain wholly what the Bible is. I want to suggest to us that the Bible is a story. The Bible is a story. I grew up in South Carolina, and we could not say lie, and so we had to say story. So when I say the Bible is a story, that's not what I mean. I don't mean that the Bible is a lie. When I say the Bible is a story, I mean the Bible is a book that helps us to understand who God is and helps us to understand God's activity in the world. Yes, there are rules in the Bible. Yes, there are references in the Bible. Yes, there are historical accounts in the Bible. Yes, there are poems in the Bible. Yes, the Bible could be considered a love letter from God to us, but that's not all the Bible is. The Bible is a story. The Bible is God's big story. And when we look at the Bible historically, we see who God is and we see how God has acted in the world. When we look at the Bible, we see God's reconciling work of bringing together people, drawing us humanity into relationship, right relationship with himself, and drawing us into right relationship with each other. That's the story of the Bible sanctuary, and it should be familiar to us because that's the sanctuary story as well. Every week in our service, our team of MCs, they stand before you and they say something like this, welcome Sanctuary Covenant Church. We're glad you're here. And depending on how much coffee you had this morning, you might say, you might smile, you might not. But they stand before you every week and said, welcome to Sanctuary Covenant Church. Something like, we're glad you're here. We're an urban, multi-ethnic church committed to reconciling people to God and one another. It's a mouthful. It's hard to say. They often stumble over it. (laughs) It's hard to say, but it's even harder to live out, to be a reconciling people, reconciling to God and to one another. It's hard to do. There are a lot of easier things to do as a church, but we pursue this thing together because we believe that reconciliation is the heart of the Christian faith. We believe that when we look at the Bible in totality, when we understand The the wholeness of the Bible, it is about God's work of reconciling himself to us and reconciling us to one another. The Bible is a story. The Bible is God's big story. The Bible is God's big story of God's reconciling love. The question for us today, Sanctuary, is do we see ourselves In that story? Do we see ourselves in the Bible? It's one thing to read the Bible as an account of some things that happened far away a long time ago, but the Bible becomes transformational 
when you and I begin to pick up this book and see ourselves in the story. The Bible is God's big story. The Bible is God's big story of God's reconciling love. Something went wrong, the Bible says, and there was a relationship break between God and us. And the Bible tells the story of God's love of drawing us back into right relationship. One of the ways we can begin to understand the Bible and the Bible can become a tool for our growth and our formation and our healing is that we can begin to grasp the big story of the Bible. And you you can look at Bible scholars. There are many different models of how people understand the Bible and and the ways that people try to to, to, to summarize the Bible so that it's something that we can use for our growth and our development. But I want to offer us today a model of looking at God's big story that I hope that you will carry with you. And it's it's a model that can be as simple enough that an elementary school student can grasp it. But it's also something that is so, can be so complex that you can earn a PhD for understanding it. This model is called creation, fall, redemption, restoration. That when we look at the Bible, we, we can summarize the, the whole of the Bible. We can grasp and wrap our hearts and minds around the Bible by grasping that the Bible is about creation, it's about fall. It's about redemption, and it's ultimately about restoration. I want to walk us through that together today. Are you you still tracking with me? I want to walk us through that today so that we might begin to see ourselves in this big story. Genesis 1 and 1 tells us the story of creation. It tells us the story of creation. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's that's the creation snapshot. But the Bible says that that God created the earth, and that thing that was created, he spoke a word, he brought it to bear, but it was still formless, and it was empty. And so God begins to speak a series of let there be statements. And God speaks a word, and, and things that had no form and were consumed by darkness begin to take form, and there was light in the earth. And then in Genesis 1:26, a particular passage that you and I should, should be very grateful for, the Bible says, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. Verse 27 of Genesis, uh, chapter 20, Genesis chapter 1, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. The Bible, the big story of the Bible has to begin with creation. And you might be asking yourself, Pastor Edgen, so what? Why does this matter? There are a number of reasons why it matters for us as people of the book to understand creation. But I want to point out just a couple, and it begins with this simple reminder that the creation story tells us that everything begins with God. Everything begins with God. Everything, including our lives, begins with God. That's a takeaway from the creation story. Everything in you begins with God. Everything going on, sanctuary, around you begins with God. 
Everything concerning your life begins with God. And that's important to remember because life has a way of making us think that we are at the center of our own universe. That everything and everybody revolves around us. But the creation story reminds us that it begins with God. And if it begins with God, and if God is the center of our lives and the center of our being, maybe there's some questions you've got to ask yourself about what you've been told about your life. In this room today, there are some people who've been told up to this point that the most significant thing about them was what happened to them, the color of their skin, who walked out on them, who turned their back on them, who let them down, who betrayed them, who lied on them, who didn't do what they were supposed to do in their lives. There are some people in this room, and I'm talking about all of us, who have been told that the most important thing about us is the sin in our life. But the creation story says, for us as people of the book, there's something different that sits at the center of our lives. It's not our struggles. It's not our disappointments. It's not our pains. It's not our letdowns. The most important things about us is that God is the center of our lives, and he calls us to be his sons and daughters. The same God, brothers and sisters, who spoke a word and called all things into existence is still speaking to you and I today. That God is speaking to you and I today. How is God speaking to us? One of the primary ways that God is speaking to us is through God's word. There is a standing invitation for us today to see ourselves in God's Big story. There's creation. We see it there in Genesis 1 and 1. But there's also a fall. There's a fall. When we look at Genesis 3, it helps us to understand the arc of the Bible. A fancy word you might want to add to your vocabulary just to to, to impress the people in your family is meta-narrative. That's what we're talking about, the, the narrative, the big narrative of the Bible. It starts with creation Then it goes to the fall. God created it. He stepped back. He patted himself on the back and said, wow, it is good. But something went wrong. We're going to look at what went wrong here in Genesis chapter 3. If you have Bibles, join me. Genesis chapter 3, here's what it says beginning with verse number 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. Verse four, you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat it, Eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eyes, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some of it and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. And then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. 
So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the cool in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, "Where are you?" He answered, "I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid." And he said, "Who told you that you were naked?" Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Verse 12, the man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Verse 13, then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. There, there was something that went wrong in this great big story. That God had given us all that we needed in the garden. He had established us and established relationship with us. But men turned away from God. And that matters for us. As we try to understand what it means for us to be people of the book, it's important for us to understand the fall. You might be asking why. I say it this way, that this is a reminder for us that there is a protagonist in God's great big story. And it's not us, it's God. That God is the protagonist of his story. But there's also an antagonist in the story, and that's not us either. Some of us grew up in churches where we thought we were God's enemy. But there is an enemy of God, and there is an enemy of God's people whose goal is to confuse all of us. His name is Satan. He he walks around and he asks us the question, are you sure God said that? Are you sure you can't do that? Are you sure that's not okay? Are you sure you can't just lie this one time to get ahead? Same question he was asking in the garden. This enemy of God still asks us today, he's called the author of confusion. Satan is a liar. In fact, the Bible calls him the father of lies. Do you know how much of a liar you have to be to be called the father of lies? And this same enemy who confused God's people in the garden is still at work today and every day seeking to confuse us and draw us away from God. And when God's people are not rooted in the truth of God's word, when when we don't know the voice of God, we fall. We drift. We, We are called away from God because there's a voice that sounds somewhat like God that the enemy uses to trick us. This entire sermon series, this entire uh, theme for this year is an invitation for us to grow in God's word, to be so rooted in God's word, to be so shaped and formed by God's word, to to be so equipped to to speak God's word over ourselves and over the the lives of others so that when the enemy comes, we realize that doesn't sound like God. Those who are, who are in the, the counterfeit money uh, 
trade, who, who, who are trained to uh, recognize counterfeit money, those in law enforcement and in and, and, and the Federal Reserve who, who work against counterfeiting, they're trained by looking at real money. They have to become experts of what real money looks like so that when the counterfeit money comes, they immediately know how to pick it up. You and I, brothers and sisters, are called to be so rooted in God's word, to so know God's voice, to so know God's heart, that even when the enemy, it sounds kind of like God, we were able to say, "Mm -mm, that that don't smell like God. That don't feel like God. Because here's what I found. The enemy is not going to create something that's completely unlike God. He's going to take it and make it look and sound and feel kind of right. And then he's going to distort just a little bit of it. The enemy is not trying to pick you up and carry you far away from God. The enemy is is concerned with just causing you to take one small step away every now and then. Every now and then. You ever been somewhere with your kid and you tell them, stand next to me and don't move? They, they, they will not run away, but they'll often just slide a little bit. Maybe that's just my kids. I don't know. Pray for me. Pray for me. The enemy is concerned with moving us away from God, and he does it through deception. He, he does it through, through making us think that God doesn't really care about the details, that God doesn't care about the small things, that God doesn't care about that one time. Just do it. And don't worry about it. The fall. It's important for us as the people of God to see ourselves in that part of the story too. Where have you drifted away from God? Where are you vulnerable to the voice of the enemy? That if we are to be people of the book, we've got to root ourselves and grow ourselves so deep in God that we will always know the voice of the enemy. There's creation, there's, there's a fall, and, and there is this third section that I'm calling redemption. And, and I honestly believe this is the largest subsection of the Bible. I, I, if we look at the scriptures, I, I believe from Genesis 4 all the way through the book of Jude, so right before the last book in the Bible, all of that could be categorized as redemption. And here's what I mean when I say redemption. God created something in creation. It went wrong in the fall. And God has been working ever since to make things right. And so when we look at the largest subset of the Bible, everything from Genesis 4 throughout, we really understand that through the lens of this is just a part of God fixing what was broken. This is a part of God showing God's love for us. This is God going to great lengths to win us back. This is God going to great lengths to heal us. This is God making right what has been made wrong by sin in the world. Look at at this. God God creates a covenant with a man called Abraham. He tells Abraham, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I'll make your name great, and you will be a blessing. He says, I'll bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. God calls Israel a a nation of a small nation of people 
who themselves were weak. There was nothing about them that made them attractive or powerful except that God called them, saved them, and said, I will use you to be a blessing to the rest of the world. As we look through, through this series, of, uh, this section of the Bible that I'm calling redemption, we see names like Hagar and Rahab and Leah and Rachel and Elizabeth and Mary. Why does that matter? These, these are women who weren't respected. These are women who had no, no great stature in society. These were women who, when they spoke, nobody would, rem- would, would care what they had to say except that God had given them a word. And that's important for us because I, I believe we are a people who know what it means to be people on the margins. We, we know what it is to be people who were historically disconnected from power and resource, but God has called us. And he uses us and he gives us a place of esteem before the nations. And that's what we see in the Bible. Hagar and Rahab and Leah and Rachel, Elizabeth and Mary, they were not people of power. They were not people of influence, but God had chosen to use them to save the nations. The birth, the ministry, the death and the burial of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, all that is a part of the redemption story. When we look at the birth of the the early church, how God called a small band of people who were scattered by persecution and compelled, on the other hand, by the Great Commission, God used them to turn the entire world upside down. When we talk about redemption, we're talking about the Apostle Paul as well, who God called out of Jerusalem, and he sent Paul out to share the gospel with the Gentiles. Friends, you and I are in this room today. We are a part of Paul's ministry. That the ministry went beyond just Jewish brothers and sisters. It went to those who were beyond, who were not of Jewish heritage. And we are saved today by grace as a part of God's redemptive work that began with the Apostle Paul. He calls us to, to remember what it is to live a life that is worthy of our calling in Christ Jesus. And you might be saying, Pastor Edron, why? why? Why does all this matter for us right now? You, you may know that the Bible was written by almost 40 different authors, that it was written over the course of 1,600 years, that it covers something between 4,000 and 6,000 years of events, that it takes place on several different continents, and it points us towards an eternal future. All that means in layman's terms is that God has gone to great lengths to save us. There is no limit on how far God will go to redeem his people. You and I are not here by accident. You and I are not here simply because we don't have someplace else to be. God has saved us by God's grace. And we ought to see ourselves in this book. I, I love how Paul says it in Romans 8, 8, 28, 38, and 39, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, n- neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, nor height, nor death, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. God has gone to great lengths to save us. God is not done. 
creation. There's the fall, there's the redemption, and there is restoration. There is restoration in God's big story. Pastor, what do you mean by restoration? When I talk about restoration, what I'm talking about is there is a day, a glorious day, a day when God's plan of redemption actually becomes complete, a day that we can look forward to where all of us as the people of God will finally be able to bask in the fullness of God's eternal glory. That day has not come yet, but that day is coming and, and we're given in the book of Revelation uh, an image of this book, much imagery about what that will look like. Because we are people of the book, I had to weigh how I would end this sermon. I could try to explain what Revelation is about, or I could trust that God's word is sufficient. And I'm trusting God's word. And so I, I, rather than spend more time talking about it. I just want to read some of the book of Revelation to us today. And my hope is that as we read this together to close out our sermon today, our service today, that you might see yourselves in God's story of restoration. Here, here's what God's word says about a new heaven and a new earth. I'm reading from Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 7. Here's what God's word says. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making all things new. And then he said, write this down, for, those, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, to the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring, the water of life. And to those who are victorious, those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. Verse 22 of Revelation chapter 21 says this, I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, 
and the lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Verse chapter 22, Revelation says this, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the trees are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. Sanctuary, even now, for any of us who profess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we are saved. Even now, we are being saved. God is saving us, making us even now more and more like him. But there is a day coming when we will be completely saved, when we will be once and for all perfected. No more pain, no more suffering, no more sorrow, no more heartache. That is what restoration is all about. And my encouragement for us is to do whatever it takes as we still live in this messed up, broken world to remember that there is coming a day when God will wipe away every tear where all the things that affect us right now will be passed away, where the shortcomings of this world will be over, And for all of eternity, we will sit in the presence of God. And I don't know about you, but as long as I read that and heard that and I held it out there for other people, it did nothing for my life. But one day I realized that those people that they talk about in this book, that's me too. That's me too. Christ died for me too. Christ is redeeming me too. And then one day, I'll be made perfect as well. How how would your life be different right now, Sanctuary? If rather than your life being dictated by what society says about you, or what somebody said about you at a particularly vulnerable part of your life, how would your life be different 
if the most important thing you thought about yourself was that I am the redeemed of God? How would your life be different today if you realized that you are not competing for people's affection? Because the only opinion that matters of you is already set. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Can you imagine if you just stopped caring about what everybody thought about you? If you just stopped trying to impress people? If you just lived into the fact that you are loved beyond measure, that there's nothing you have to do to earn that love. It's already yours. Can you imagine if on your worst day you realize that God has not left me or abandoned me? If I, if I feel like I'm in the mud, I can guarantee that he's right here in the mud with me. Can you imagine when you mess up when you do that thing that you said last time you would never do again, you realize that that's just a reminder that, that God is still at work in my life. And I'm not going to kick myself and I'm not going to keep letting other people kick me. I'm going to get up, brush myself off, and I'm going to walk out this calling for the rest of my days. Something happens when we can see ourselves in this book. Our lives are transformed when we can see ourselves in this book. And here's, here's the incredible thing, that when we see ourselves in the book and our lives begin to be transformed, we give other people permission to be transformed as well. So no matter what you have to do, let this week be the beginning of you seeing yourselves in this book. You are known by God. You are loved by God. God is redeeming you right now. And one day you will be like him. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found was blind, but now I see. Can you see yourselves in this book sanctuary? See yourself in that book. Your life will never be the same. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for calling us. Thank you for giving us, God, a tangible resource that helps us to see who you are. Thank you for your word. And thank you for calling us to be people of the book. God, I pray right now for every brother and sister in this room who has never been able to connect to the Bible. It seemed like it was for other people. It seemed like it was talking about other people. It seemed like it was just too out of touch. I pray, God, against the lie that would tell us that this book is not for us. God, help us to see ourselves the way you see us. Make us people of the book. That in this book, we might find light 
in life, that we might find healing, that we might find our purpose, that we might find joy, that we might find courage to walk out our faith day after day. God, help us to be your people and continue to be our God. God, give us everything that we stand in need of. And God, we'll be extra careful to give you all the praise, all the glory, all the honor that is due your name. It's in the perfect name of your son, Jesus, we pray. And all God's people say together, amen.